up till this point, God has determined that he will save his people out of slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh has been resistant. He doesn't want to let the people go. In fact, he said, I'm going to make it harder for them. So in their slavery, he removed some of the resources they had. He took away the straw and, and things are just really hard on the Israelites. Uh, last time we saw Moses was really struggling with that and wondering, Lord, are you doing evil? Aren't you going to deliver these people at all? And the Lord came back and said, I am the Lord. I will do this. I made the promises. I'm going to accomplish this so that the people of Israel shall see I am the Lord. He's going to make sure all of his people know I'm God and I will do this. And now he's going to show that to another person. He wants this to be made known to Pharaoh as well and all the people of Egypt and everybody in all the world that he is God. And so we pick up the story as he is telling Moses to go back in and to deliver the news to Pharaoh. It says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Moses, if you remember, when he had been called by God, said, I'm not your man. I'm not very good at talking. And God said, you're going to go do this. I'll let you take your brother Aaron and he'll be the spokesman. So here they're going back into Pharaoh. You're going to tell Pharaoh this. Aaron's going to say it. You could uh, you can almost think of Aaron as the public relations or uh, who's the person that the president has to do it. The press secretary, that's the word, press secretary. Aaron's, Aaron's kind of the press secretary for God. Like, Moses, you're doing this. Aaron's going to speak for you, but the news is getting to Pharaoh. You've got to go tell him that I am bringing the people out. And so go let him know. Verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So he says, you're going to go in, you're going to tell this to Pharaoh, but I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. The word that's being used there is meant to say he's going to be stubborn. I'm going to cause his heart to be stubborn. He's, he's, he's going to re continue to resist. And, and there's been question about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Like, what do you do with that? Doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't Pharaoh get an opportunity to choose? That's been talked about salvation too sometimes. That's why don't, don't people get an opportunity to choose? How do we then take this word that says that God hardened Pharaoh's hearts? And what about other people whose hearts are hardened as well? But this, this is what we know about Pharaoh. It's not as if Pharaoh woke up one day and said, I've got two great choices. And so I guess maybe just I won't choose God. Pharaoh was born and continued and continued and continued to be against God and already stubborn to God. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to keep his heart there. I'm not going to let him waffle. I'm not going to make it look like he's somehow on our side. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that he is against me. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to make sure that he is stubborn in the place that he will be. And so it's kind of like this. If you had something really stinky, something rotten in your kitchen. This happens once in a while in the Hudson house. We'll find something deep in that fridge. And it's stanky. 
And we take that thing and we put it into the garbage can with a it has a plastic liner and we take that bag out because it's stinky. It's going right out. And we take that bag out and we twist up that bag and we tie that bag. We make sure that thing is sealed. But you know what I like to do? I like to harden it a little bit more. What I mean by that is I like to take a second bag and make sure that what is stinky stays where the stinky should be. If it was already there, I want it to, I don't want it to come and penetrate into my nostrils and interfere with the good smell of coffee. Right. I don't want those two things to mix. If it's there, keep it there. That's where Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was already against God. So God is saying, I'm going to harden his heart by saying, I'm going to allow his stubbornness to keep him opposed to me. I'm going to show that he doesn't want anything to do with God. He is not operating for me. In, in, these are my people and I will rescue him. It's not Pharaoh who will rescue them. So I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will continue that way. The reality is all of humanity is kind of like that in the sense that the book of Romans says no one seeks God. It's not just Pharaoh. In Romans chapter three. If I can get my bookmarks to get to the right page here. Romans chapter three, quoting out of the Psalms. Paul writes, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That was Pharaoh, too. And that that was us coming out of the womb was just like, we don't want God. We don't want God. We don't want God. And the only way that somebody comes to a point of saying, I want God, I will follow God, I will obey God. God, I want your salvation is when God does something to save us, because as a result of us not understanding, not seeking, not wanting, not calling upon God for a help. Later on in Romans three, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That as a result of us being in that position, we say. I don't want you. We fall short of his glory. We fall short of his salvation. What help then do I have? What help? What help then can I get? And that is when the Lord pursues and he rescues people. He calls out to them and he 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 woos them to himself. And later on in the book of Romans, even speaking of Pharaoh in Romans chapter nine, it says this. For he says to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will find fault to me and then say, well, well why, did, why does he still find fault? Why does he still find fault in people? If, who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So in these passages, God says, I'm going to have mercy on whom I show mercy. He goes back to the book of Exodus, even applies to the situation with Pharaoh saying, 
He hardened it. It was God's will to do that. It was God's will to go save his chosen people. And it's God's choosing. It's God's choosing. Well, why in the world did he do that for Pharaoh? Why make him more stubborn? Why make him more hardened if he's already hardened there? Because you and I all like a good story. What? What does that mean? What, what do you mean we like a good story? You know what? Our movies would be pretty lame. The books that we like to read would be pretty lame if in those stories the antihero, the, 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 the villain, was not more villainous. Correct? If we had somebody that was like, they're not that bad, and the superhero comes in and was like, and it was easy, we'd be like, that's no story at all. But when God shows just how evil things have gotten, when God shows just how stubborn Pharaoh has got, what it does is take his mercy, what it does is take his rescue and shows just how glorious it is and just how powerful it is. And we sing the song Amazing Grace and it would not be even as visibly amazing if we did not realize how graceful he had to be. And so what he does is in even the, the same way we like a story and we love to go to the movies and see just how awful Lex Luthor is. Why? Because when you see Lex Luthor and how evil he is, it makes Superman all that more super. And God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show with Pharaoh that I'm the Lord. There is going to be distinction between him and me. I'm going to rescue my people and nobody else will save them. I will be the redeemer. I will be the deliverer and my people will see it. And now Pharaoh and his people, the world is going to see that I am God. I'm not just the God of the Israelites. I'm the God of the universe. I am God. I am God. I am the Lord, he says. And so that's why he's stubborn. And we question him because we don't understand it. But God is saying, I'm doing this so that I can show who I am. That's what he had said. That out of this, everybody will see. Verse five. It's not just for Pharaoh. It says in verse five, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So at this point, they're getting social security and they, they come in and God gives them this charge. You're 80 and 83 years old. Go and tell Moses, or Pharaoh this thing. Now, remember the chapter before Moses is like, God, are you just up to evil? Aren't you going to deliver people? But he's beginning to show them this is about me and my rescue, what I am doing. Trust me. And the scriptures say, by faith, Moses trusted. He came to a place of trust and believing God would do this. So they did just as the Lord commanded and they go into Pharaoh and how they were able to get an audience with Pharaoh. I don't know, probably because Moses had grown up in the family. And now he's returning as the prodigal son of Egypt. It says in verse eight. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take the staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. Remember, this is one of the signs that Moses was given while he was on Mount Oreb, Mount Sinai. The Lord had said, when you go back to the people of Israel, the, the elders give them the sign of throwing down the staff at becoming a serpent, taking it up again and becoming a staff. He gave him the leprosy sign. He also gave him the water to blood sign. That was for the Israelites. Now he says, now that you're going to Pharaoh, give that same sign again. I want you to take that staff, have Aaron throw it down and have it become a serpent. That's a pretty wild thing. 
you, and some of you don't even like serpents when they come out naturally from the eggs, right? Uh, this is a staff going down. It's obviously a miracle, obviously a sign because people respond to things that are not of the natural world. Okay, when God does some, some, something supernatural, it's an opportunity for people to take notice. So what God is saying, have Pharaoh take notice that I'm behind this. This isn't just Moses and Aaron coming in. God is coming in. So God's coming in. Here is the sign that it may become a serpent. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. So it's like, wait a second. If God was coming and showing his miraculous act, why would he then allow the magicians to come in and do this thing? Why would he allow them to come in and show something that seems of significant might if God was trying to make a distinction between himself and Pharaoh? Notice, oh, I got a hand. You got, a, you got an idea of it? More powerful. Exactly right. Because God allows things in order to, at the end of the day, show his glory all the more. So it seems like, well, is he giving them an inch? Is he showing that somehow they are on an equal footing with him? Just the same way that some people say that Jesus and Satan are on equal footing? No, that's not what's happening. Even though Pharaoh summons in people, did you recognize their name? Magicians. What do magicians do? Magic. By illusion, they somehow manipulate circumstances to make it look like power. God doesn't manipulate. God brings power. Magicians bring tricks. Hucksters bring sales. It's just, it's just trying to sell power that's not true. In fact, it's known that there were serpents uh, that, that you could grab them in a special way and they would go firm like a stick. Uh, back in Seattle, we saw this guy who was, was kind of like Dan the Animal Man. He was called the Reptile Man. And he had this little pet alligator that he would have in his hands. And suddenly the alligator, while in his hands, he would just fall backwards and go limp and go to sleep. It was like, what, how did he do that? And there was a little trick that he could do where when the alligator was in his hands, he could take his finger and rub, and it would rub right between the alligator's eyes. And there was a special just sensory trigger that would cause the alligator to go to sleep. And so it looked like a trick. It looked like that thing just stiff, like went, slept. And there was ways to manipulate snakes to make them look like a staff and then to cause them to be. So I don't know how they do it, but the intention here is to say that they came in to manipulate the visual to say, no, 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 we've got power too. This God that you say you bring in, who's the master of the universe. No, no, no. Pharaoh, he's got it. In fact, in all this, you got to remember that, that snakes and serpents very much represented Pharaoh and power. He wore one on his hood. And so it's very much a battle going on right in Pharaoh's throne room or wherever they're having this little meeting of who's in charge. Is it Pharaoh with a snake on his head or is it the God who created not only the snake, but Pharaoh and all these people that he wants to deliver? So in a sudden show of, no, I am 
I am over you. God allows this next part to happen because in verse 12, we read for each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. What God said was, you can do all the tricks you want, but I am foreshadowing this. You are going to lose. This isn't an episode of Superman where Lex Luthor somehow wins. This is the episode, as in every episode, where God wins. He is the Lord. There is no one like him. And so when Pharaoh fights back, God gives him a little picture of what's coming. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. And anybody who comes up against the Lord, here's the Lord's message for them. You will lose. Unfortunately for humanity and all of us, when we come up against the Lord in our sin, he looks at us and he's like, you're going to lose. Here's here's what losing looks like. First of all, you will be apart from me. That is disastrous. To be any way removed from the Lord and withdrawn from his grace is just disaster for anybody. The mere fact that we can still live and breathe and have food and sing in freedom That's a representation of God's grace. But when we as sinners say, I don't want you, the Lord says at some time, all of that grace is going to move and we will stop breathing. We will stop having any sort of mercy. And eventually there will be consequence to pay most precisely his wrath. So there's no one who can come and make war with God and think they can get away with it for a time. We may swirl around and pull a Pharaoh. But God gives evidence and evidence and evidence and evidence that he will win. I love in this story the fact that he gives that representation, but he's going to save his people. That's part of it. In defeating Pharaoh, he's also going to rescue his people. And even though Pharaoh's not, look at verse 13, Pharaoh's not going to give in. Verse 13, still... Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Here they bring in a stick. It becomes a serpent. They take it up again, it becomes a stick. And that sign was there to represent God's power, but it was representing also the declaration that God, by that staff, was going to lead a people out and deliver them. Isn't it awesome that he also gave a big piece of wood also to remind us of the fact that he would come and as that sign, he would come and deliver his people out of the slavery and bondage of sin and death and wrath to come. And he did it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who bled and died and shed his blood. Because by that blood, he says, I will wash you. He said, I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I have compassion upon whom I have passion. So when you hear the gospel and you you feel that in your heart saying, there's a God who loves me and I need to be rescued. And I want to I want to plead and confess my sins before him. You know what's causing that? He is. He has allowed your heart not to be hardened and stubborn in that moment, but to draw you in his love. And it's irresistible. And he's bringing you to himself. That's good. The scriptures warn also, quoting out of the Psalms, the Hebrew says this today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
as they did in the wilderness. As we hear about what Pharaoh did, it'd be easy just to maybe follow him. But the Lord, as he gives us these stories, what he's saying is, don't just remember a good story when I went up and defeated the greatest nation on earth at the time. Allow me to come close to you and let you recognize that I will defeat defeat the greatest sin in your life. I will defeat the evil in your heart. I will defeat the death that's coming for you. So don't harden your hearts today. Let the sign of the gospel, that wooden cross of what Jesus did, be the thing that makes you recognize, no, that's right, he is the Lord. Let me not run away to anything else which might try to rival God in his power. There is nothing else that can save us on the earth. And even today is a good way to recognize not even a veteran, not even a country can give us eternal life. He may use it, and he may use your family, and he may use your circumstances, but it is God who comes and softens your heart and says, now come, let me rescue you. These stories are great, and we're going to find as the plagues go on, and now several different plagues are going to roll out, 10 of them. And it's plague after plague after plague against Pharaoh and Egypt and the land. Why does God continue to do that? Because he's saying, I am the Lord. And all of those plagues are going right after the gods and the powers of Egypt. He goes right after their money. He goes right after their relationships. He goes right after them. And at the end of the day, he proves he is the rescuer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to wait for plagues to say, Lord, help me. Look at who you are. He'll bring things to continue to remind us, but go there with his love and his mercy and his compassion already operating in your heart. Today, as we close, I just want to give that opportunity. If the Lord has been beckoning you, saying, draw close to me. Don't harden your hearts. Don't be stubborn. Don't run away. And I want to give you that opportunity to say, Lord, I just bow my knees before you. In the scriptures, you know what it says the opposite of hardening the heart is? The fear of the Lord. And what the fear of the Lord is, is recognizing he is so utterly mighty and holy that we could just be crushed. But that also in his mightiness and in that fear of him, that we would just submit and say, okay. And that's the best place to be is on our knees, just saying, okay, I need you. Don't let me be hard. I need you, God. And so today, come and recognize God. Live in the fear of the Lord. Say, God, here's my heart. It's a little callous. I need you to soften it. Don't let me run away into the stubbornness of my sin, but let me draw close to you and your rescue, your love for me. Let me draw close to Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you for your scriptures and your words which declare to us through stories, through depictions of what has already taken place, a reminder of what you would ask for us to do in 
And in these, you have asked that we would trust you. That we would not be hardened in unbelief or rivaling you in power or understanding, but rather that we would fear you and draw close in submission. And so, first of all, Father, we come and we confess to you that we are prideful. We confess to you our selfishness and our greed. We confess to you our need for help. We ask, Lord, that you would make us a people that are ready by faith to watch and to seek and to listen and to follow. And that just as Moses and Aaron did, that we would do whatever you would command us. We pray that with our spiritual eyes, as we are in the midst of this battle, we would recognize your victory is assured. There is nothing in this world. There is nothing in me. There is nothing in us, Lord that can save us like you do. You alone are our Savior, and we give you thanks for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.